You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. What an awesome morning, amen? We got to do uh, baptisms this morning, and it was just great. I love baptisms. In fact, if you want to be baptized, uh, I'll baptize you right now. I mean, uh, we could just do it. No? Okay. Uh, I just tell my wife before or during first service, I said, we need to have a change of clothes because I think some of you, like, God's going to move on your life in powerful ways. And, uh, you know, don't wait till like, next week to get baptized. Just do it now. Like, it's like 80 degrees outside. You can go home, you know, covered in water. You'll have a good story to tell. Go out to lunch. It'll be a testimony. But anybody? No, okay, cool. All right. <laughs> uh, if you're interested in getting baptized, come and talk to me. And we'll set that up and just really celebrate. You know, we say baptism is an outward reflection of an inward transformation. So if God's beginning to do a work in your life, we really want to testify to that together. So I want to read scripture to you. We're in our series called The Better Blessing. And I want to read some scripture to you uh, before we begin. So just put yourself in a posture for receiving scripture. I know some of you that's going to be closing your eyes because it helps you focus. Some of you that's going to be not closing your eyes because you stayed up to one o'clock. Uh, last night, and so you need to keep those eyes open, uh, but whatever it is, just be in a posture receiving if you want to put your hands out, whatever it might be. I want to read our, our scripture. Sometimes as we get into a series, we can get really focused in, and it's good to just pull back a little bit and see how much Jesus is speaking to us today. So uh, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be in Matthew 5 a lot of today, so feel free to flip your Bibles there. If not, uh, just listen. It says this, and he opened his mouth, meaning Jesus, and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray together today. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. I pray today that as we walk through your word, that it would just be revealed to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would transform lives. So we just come with available and soft hearts, ready to hear what you have to speak today. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, amen. Can we thank our worship band today? Yeah, awesome. Alan up here just slaying it. I like it, man. He did a good job. It was awesome. I'm excited. We're in this series on the Beatitudes called A Better Blessing. We're in Matthew 5, 6 today, but uh, I, I'm really excited to talk a little bit about hunger. You know, when I was younger, I, I had the opportunity to go with this team uh, to England to play in this soccer tournament. Uh, I loved soccer. I was in shape, everything that soccer requires. And uh, we got to go to England, and I don't want you to, like, get the impression that I was really good. I, I was not, but I got to be a part of this team that would go. And I don't know if you knew this about England, uh, but they take their soccer, or what they call football, which feels a little more right, uh, they take it seriously, right? Uh, they, they not only take seriously in watching it, like, they fight each other about their teams. It's like every team is the Philadelphia Eagles, right? They take it very—that was funny. You're allowed to laugh at church. Okay, good. Second service, you got this. Um, 
So we uh, we would go over there and we'd play this tournament. And uh, again, our team was made of this this group of people, and half of us knew each other and half of us didn't. And so it was a little crazy and chaotic over there. And it turns out we did not win a lot of games. We did win one game by a good margin, but as it turns out, those people were from Australia, so they weren't really English to begin with. Or maybe they were English to begin with, but like 100 years ago. Um, but we, we played these games, and I remember one game that we were losing, and the coach brought us together, and he circled us up. How many of you guys have played on a team where the coach has rallied you? Okay, good, good. Okay, good eight of us. So, uh, <laughs> let me explain it. If you haven't had this experience, you were more of like a band person or just like a skate, you're into skateboarding, so maybe you didn't have this experience. Let me explain. The coach gets you together, and then he says something motivating so that you can win. Got it? That's the moment, right? The circle around the coach moment. And I still remember uh, my coach asking our team, who's hungry? And at the time, I hadn't heard that metaphor, but now that I've watched enough sports in my life, that's a pretty common metaphor, like, who wants the ball? Who wants it? Who's hungry for it? Who's got it, right? It's like, it's driving, you know, he steps up on it, and he's like, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that, we're gonna do it. who's hungry, who wants it? And like, the team responds, and you're sort of like, I'm hungry, coach, I want the ball, right? It's like motivating, right? I get motivated by stuff like that, so I'm like, me, I'm hungry, right? And, and so he's like stirring, motivating speech. Who's hungry? Who wants it? And we went out there and we'd lost. But we were very motivated. We were very hungry, right? <laughs> There's a bunch of eighth graders getting randomly dropped off in major metropolitan areas of England with zero adult supervision. So about eight days in, <laughs> you know, we didn't care about soccer. <laughs> there are other things to care about <laughs> as a young eighth grade male. Um, but we, but we were fired up. We were hungry for it. We wanted it. There was just this feeling of passion and desire and drive. And, and, and it was interesting. It's like later in my life as I uh, got a coach for pastoring, I asked my pastoral coach, my wife and I, we have a, we have a couple coaches. One of them is a pastoral coach. And uh, I asked him, hey, what do you look for in staff? What do you look for in leaders? What do you look for in team members? And he talked about humility and hunger. Hunger is one of the things that he's like, that is a defining characteristic of a, of a leader is hunger. It's something, it's, it's hard to teach. You can't teach hunger. But when I, I really think about it, we were all born with a hunger. Some of you right now, you're hungry for food, right? You came in, you smelled that crispy fry smell of the ATL wings, and that's been on your heart in this moment, Right? is thinking about, like, let's just go brunch, right? You brought somebody, trying to make a good impression, thinking, where can I take her to brunch? Really show, you know, that, you know, I'm faithful with my finances, right? <laughs> Got a couple locations. I'll hook you up. Let me help you, young brothers. Uh, <laughs> some of you, though, if you were to think beyond, you know, how hard you're going to brunch in a little bit, uh, you're really hungry for purpose. You're really hungry for meaning. You're really hungry for direction and clarity and a vision for your life that goes beyond your current life situation. Hopefully you're hungry for more than just the next meal, like, like you know, like, like my dog is, right? Hungry for whatever we put in front. You're, you're hungry for more than that. You want more than that. You, you're hungry for a purpose, a direction. A, you have a drive, right? You were actually created hungry. When you came out, right, when you entered this world and you were crying like all babies do, you experienced two emotions, cold and hunger for the first time, Right? You're like, oh, I need to eat immediately. And that's what babies do, right? 
When babies cry, it's either because, A, they just want to cry, because that's what babies do. Let me tell you, young people that don't have babies yet, sometimes they just cry for like forever, and you have no reason why, and it's hard to not take it personal. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? Like, why am I taking this personal? This child can't even speak, but it feels personal. <laughs> and they cry because they've either soiled themselves or predominantly they're hungry. And if you're a parent, you know the hungry cry because it feels a little extra angry. Right? If you have maybe younger siblings, you've heard this cry. It feels, it feels intentional. It's got a little oomph behind it. It's angry. It's feisty. It will not be satisfied with any distraction. You can crinkle the crinkles and shake the rattles, but it is hungry. We're born hungry. But we're born hungry for something greater than just food. We're born with a hunger for something eternal, something grander, something greater, something better than just food. Ecclesiastes 3.11, a very unique scripture. I want to read it to you today. It says this. He, meaning God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Let me read, let me read that again to you. It says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. That's a really powerful verse, but what does it mean, right? If you're read scripture, you're like, that sounds important, but what does that have to do with my life at all? I love the words of St. Augustine, he says, about God. And speaking to the Lord, he says, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. Let me read that again. Listen to these words. God, in speaking to God, he says, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. Do you know restlessness and longing are part of being human? They're part of the human experience. We were created to be united with God. We were created with what some people call the God-shaped hole in our heart that only he could fill. We were created for a unity with him, but yet in the brokenness of the world, we, we feel this sense of separation and restlessness until we are again finding our rest in God. There is a longing within us for eternity. If you have had a longing for something greater than anything that you can buy, find, discover, unearth, earn. If you've had a longing for something greater, let me tell you, that longing is for eternity that God has placed in your heart. I, uh, I'm a fan of poetry. I won't make you raise your hand who likes poetry in here. I, I consider myself a weird collection of interests, and one of those happens to be poetry. Uh, <laughs> and one of my favorite poems is called The Pulley by George Herbert. And uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it out loud to you if that's okay. Is that okay? Okay. And I'm going to try my best. I tried to explain this in first service. George Herbert was English, and so he wrote this poem as he would say it with an English accent, which is going to take all of my effort to not slip into a poor attempt at an English accent. Okay? How many, be honest, you do this. If you read, you read something by somebody who's English, does your brain automatically make an accent? Okay, yes, the weirdos unite. Here we go, guys. Let's get after it. I, I do. 
I have that. We go to Love the Block, and, and, and I know, like, this much Spanish, and then there's this much conversation. So I have a problem that if I get to the end of my Spanish and I try to pepper in, you know, some Spiritu Santo or some, like, Jesus is into my prayer, I got to be careful because sometimes I start saying the other English words with a poor Spanish accent because I'm prepping to say the Spanish words right, and what it comes off as is just kind of offensive. <laughs> Okay, so anyways, I'm going to try my best. I'm going to re read it in my voice, but if I slip out of it, you know, just be gracious to me, I guess, because I'm reading poetry in front of, you know, 100 people. <laughs> so here we go. <laughs> it says this, the pulley. When God at first made man, having a glass of blessings standing by, let us, said he, pour on him all we can. Let the world's riches, which dispersed lie, contract into a span. So strength first made a way, then beauty flowed, then wisdom, honor, pleasure. When almost all was out, God made a stay, perceiving that alone of all his treasure rests in the bottom lay. For if I should, said he, bestow this jewel also on my creature, he would adore my gifts instead of me and rest in nature, not the God of nature, so both should losers be. Yet let him keep the rest, but keep them with repining restlessness. Let him be rich and weary, that at least if goodness lead him not, yet weariness may toss him to my breast. See, God has put and a longing, a hunger for eternity in our hearts. We have this inconsolable longing. And what's interesting is how often mankind is marked by trying to satisfy that longing with all kinds of temporary earthly things, right? We try to satisfy that longing, that, that God-shaped hole that exists, that longs for eternity, that longs for the Lord. We try to satisfy with vacations, accomplishments, sexual exploits, events, parties, sports, drugs, athletics, working out, uh, just overall excellence, job performance, proving ourselves. And I'm not knocking any of these things, right? But I'm saying we're trying to satisfy our soul with them, and yet the longing still remains. I think one of the most unnoticed things of COVID has been exactly this. That when COVID came and everything shut down, there was nothing to distract you from the complete desperate longingness in your soul. There were no sports to watch. There were no clubs to go to. There was no group of friends to hang out with. There was no school to do. There was no job. And yet somehow we, some of us still found a way to keep our minds busy so that we could distract our hearts from how empty our soul was. See, the things that we do in this world so often we do so that we can keep ourselves busy so we don't have to answer the question, what about the longing in my heart? So we are ever busy but not fulfilled. I think never has it been more transparent than in our this, this next generation right now. I believe so strongly in the generation that, that God is raising up in the church, this next young generation, because they're so unsatisfied with the way things are, and I love it. I know sometimes it, it, you know, that, that makes the generations butt heads, but I love it. I love that you're not satisfied. Stay unsatisfied. 
with the world because it won't satisfy you. Don't like get a house and a boat and a family and a 401k and then feel like you're good. You're not good. You're just distracted. Stay unsatisfied because only God can fill. This is why the generation that has the most technological access is also the most depressed, the most unsatisfied. I was like, I, I like to listen to music. I was listening to the top 40. Like, Every top 40, like, young rapper coming through sings about how sad they are, and then they kill themselves. That's, like, what everybody's listening to, right? It's like, I gotta listen to a whole Juice World album where he's depressed, and then he dies. So much resources, right? 60 years ago, it was like, computers are gonna change the world. We're gonna work 20 hours a week and be so satisfied. And it's like, ha, 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 joke's on you. We have all the computers. We could, like, I could send my phone to the moon, like, today, and yet still we're not finding peace in our hearts on earth. Why? Because all these things do not satisfy. We are coming to an empty well. We are coming to a broken cistern to find a eternal satisfaction for our soul. And yet God is calling out to us. Isaiah 55, I love the words of the prophet, spoken through the Lord here, or the Lord speaking through the prophet here in this moment. He says, come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, eat. Come buy wine and milk without money. That means for free, by the way. If you buy without money, that means for free. Without cost. He says, why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me. Okay, parents, that just rang true with you, right? That can you sense the fatherly love of God in this moment? I can sense speaking to my kid, and I can sense this fatherly thing of like, listen, listen to me, eat what's good, and you will delight in the richest fare. I can, I can picture the Father looking at us, those who are trying to satisfy ourselves with the things of the Word. He's like, no, listen, listen to me. Listen, there's a better way. There's a better blessing. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, many of you today here, your soul is hungry. And your heart is thirsty. You feel a longing for something. There's a restlessness inside of you. Some of you have a condition that I like to call greenitis. Greenitis is the condition that the grass is always greener on the other side. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's like, you know, if I could just get into that school, then, oh man, that'd be amazing. If I could just graduate, that'd be amazing. If I could just get with that person, then you're with that person. You're like, if I could just get with that person, then I'd be there. Then you go over here and you're like, you see this Instagram pop up. And you're like, oh, if I could get with that person, then that would be it. That's my soulmate. God's told me to marry that person. It's like, no, I just think you like the things they post on the internet, right? And they're like, well, if I could just get married, if I could just get a house, if I could just go to there, if I could just go to there, if I could just go on this vacation. Are you with me? This is our lives, right? If I could just get married, then I, if I could just get a house, if I could just have some kids, the, the grass is green over here in the child world. And let me tell you with kids, it's not, nope, it's just muddier. <laughs> it's, there is some green grass in here under all this mud, right? <laughs> if I could just have kids, then you're like, if I could just raise these kids without killing them. Then if you're like, if I could just get these kids out of my house, and then the kids are out of the house, and you're like, if I could just figure out what to do, if I could just get that RV and travel the world, right? Like, we live in this space, don't we? And it's literally advertising companies' job to intersect your longing with fake answers, right? That's why Matthew McConaughey's hanging out in the back of a Buick talking about, like, wild turkey rather than anything to do with the car. 
He's intersecting your longing with something that gives you identity, and yet we know it's not real. And yet God is calling to us, saying, it's not there, it's not there, the grass is not greener there or there, the grass is not greener there, it's not there, it's not this dissatisfaction, it's right here with me. And yet so often in my own life, I turn away from that calling of God into the true substance for a cheap substitute. But Jesus promises a better way, a better blessing. That's why Matthew 5, 6, if you, if you have your Bible, jump right there to Matthew 5, 6. I want to read it to you today. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. How many of you in your life want satisfaction in your soul? Like, there's a lot of things I want. How many, really, honestly, if you're being honest, like, I, I really long for that. Satisfaction of my soul. So Jesus promises, he says, those who hunger for righteousness will find satisfaction. So there's kind of two questions there. What is righteousness as he's defining it? And how do I hunger for it? Good questions. Because talk about that, righteousness. Last week we talked about uh, meekness, and that directly applied to Psalm 37. If you want to go back and learn about meekness, not weakness, meekness, uh, you can go back and check it out on our podcast and online. Uh, but that specifically applied to Psalm 37. This week, as Jesus is talking about righteousness, he's not specifically quoting anything from the Old Testament. Though, if you go to the Old Testament, there's a lot of stuff about righteousness, right? But he does mention righteousness a lot in the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is uh, this long set of verses from five, uh, chapter 5 through the end of chapter 7, of which the Beatitudes we're talking about are part of. So it's part of a larger sermon. In that sermon, he mentions righteousness five times. That's kind of a big deal, right? Husbands, look at me. If your wife mentions something to you five times in one conversation, it's important, right? Like, all the wives are like, yes, amen. Like, I didn't leave the garbage there five times as a suggestion, right? That was a command, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? So if, if it happens five times, it's important, right? And so not only does he mention five times in the whole Sermon on the Mount, he mentions it twice just in the Beatitudes. But it's not just he mentions it twice. I'm going to explain to you why Jesus ordered the Beatitudes as he did, Okay. So we see them as this kind of like one, 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 one. That's not how Jesus meant them. He preached it as a sermon. So why did he do this? Well, let, let's look at this. It's interesting. I find this stuff interesting. I hope you do too. Hit me with an amen if you feel like you agree. Uh, amen. Okay, good. So if we look at the beatitude structure, the first four beatitudes end with a hunger and thirst for righteousness. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Then the next four say, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, and blessed are those who are per persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's called a sermon, right? That's a progression. It has a direction. The first four Beatitudes speak to a lack of something. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek towards others, right? That is not an overflowing action. It's not like you've been filled up. That's pouring out, right? I'm emptying myself. I'm evaluating the state of my heart and my condition. And then he ends that portion by saying that when you empty yourself and you hunger for righteousness, you will be filled. And then the next three, he explains of what 
righteousness is that you will be filled. He says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And he ends that portion by saying, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So let me explain this. It starts with pouring yourself out, and he says, then you will be filled. And then he explains how you will be filled, and then he explains, hey, by the way, the world is soup's going to hate you for that. The world is not going to like that, that you're filled, so you're going to be persecuted. And so he outlines, here's what you're going to be persecuted with, right? It's, you're going to be poor in spirit, mourning, meek. You're going to have hunger for righteousness. You're going to be filled with mercy, purity, and peacemaking. Okay, let me say that again. Mercy, purity, and peacemaking. That's what he defines. He's saying righteousness is these qualities. It is the qualities of mercy. It is the qualities of purity before God. It is the qualities of peacemaking. Are you still with me? I'll give us some structure here. So when you go read this scripture, when you go read the Bible, you have some tools to do some work with. Amen? Okay, I want you to leave empowered, not just informed. I'm going to equip you, not just send you. So this is a form here. And we see that Jesus displays it in the rest of the sermon. I want to read you a verse real quick that uh, I, want, I hope messes with you and makes you go, I'm sorry, what? Here it is. Matthew 5.20. Jesus continues and he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, I, I know I'm not the only one. <laughs> but y'all just like read scripture sometimes and be like, I'm sorry, What? Like, anytime he says things about, like, you're not coming in, you're not in the kingdom of heaven, I read the scriptures and I'm like, do a check on myself, like, okay, what? That's a big thing. Uh, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're not getting into heaven. How is that possible? Because they were, like, very religious, right? They followed all the laws. They even made up new ones, right? They made up their own, like, you can't turn your oven on, Right? On a Sunday and Saturday, like, you got to space it out. It has to be an auto timer that goes on. You can only walk this many steps, but not that many, or else not the Sabbath. Right? They added some extras, right? They were so holy, they added more laws. But why, how it's possible is that Christ came to fulfill the law through his love. So Christ did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. So often as the ministry of Christ, he's trying to explain what you did for religion is now about relationship, meaning I'm not abolishing the law, but the law says, here's the line, right? And relationship says, here's the way. They're different, right? The law says what I can and cannot do to my spouse, right, in a very legal sense. But that would be like the worst relationship if that's all that motivated me. It's like, well, I don't want to go to jail, he sounds like a great husband. Right? <laughs> you know? He'd be like, well, Pastor Josh, really leading his way in his relationship because he has not gone to prison yet for anything to do with this marriage, right? Now, that would be legally correct, but relationally profoundly broken, right? There would be not, I'd be like, well, we have a covenant, Katie. We signed an agreement, so <laughs> better honor that, right? He'd be like, that's terrible. Okay, well, this is the same. Jesus teaches all throughout Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That, yeah, the law said you can't do this, right? Anytime somebody wants to come tell me why a biblical principle shouldn't be lived out in their life, they say, well, the law is gone. I said, no, the law is superseded. We're beyond the law now by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, like, where it used to say, give this, they in turn gave everything. So if we want to fight about, like, tithing, like, the Bible's going to win, right? <laughs> Everyone was like, no. <laughs> 
But here's what he says. Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say. Stay with me here. Math, I'm just going to fire these off. Can we do that? Okay. Matthew 5, 21 says, you've heard it say, don't kill, don't murder. It's a good one. But I say, Jesus says, don't be angry against a brother. What's the principle there? Seek peace on the qualities of righteousness. 527, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, don't even look at a woman in lust. Don't lust after another person, right? What's that about? Having a pure heart before God. That's a quality of righteousness. He says, you've heard it said, like, you can have a provision for divorce, meaning they would divorce people, but they would give them, like, this, this signed legal document. It was like, look, but I did it right. I gave him a document. He's saying, have mercy on your spouse. Be in a merciful and gracious relationship. So Matthew 5.33, okay, you keep your oaths, and you swear upon this, and you swear upon that. How about you just be the kind of person that has enough integrity that you don't have to swear an oath every time you agree to something? Integrity, being pure of heart, being honest, right? Matthew 5.38, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I say, turn the other cheek. And in fact, don't even just turn the other cheek. Return good for evil. What's that called? Mercy, peacemaking, qualities of righteousness. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. But I say, love your enemy and pray for those who, who persecute you. That's a part of the Bible we like to skip, huh? <laughs> like, no, no, I, I do love them. It's like, are you sure? Let's take a pull. Pray for those who persecute you. There's this, there's this attitude in this heart of mercy and peacemaking, right? Jesus has outlined righteousness. So what is the righteousness that God is calling us? It's this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Righteousness is showing mercy to others. Righteousness is showing mercy to others. Showing mercy to one another. Righteousness is being pure in heart before God. Being pure in heart before God. Righteousness is the effort to make peace. Now, there's the righteousness of God, the righteousness of the kingdom. There's, the righteousness is a big, big, big idea. But as Jesus is defining it to his followers in this moment, this is how he is describing it. Are you with me? So sometimes we cover a part of an important thing, but not all of it. Like, we don't have enough time. We're not that Pentecostal that I can spend three hours here on righteousness. We can do like two or three different altar calls and a couple offerings and a couple dances, right? We don't have that kind of time. So for now, it's just these three things. You still with me? Okay, good, good, good. This is what we should hunger for. Mercy to others, pure in heart before God, an effort to make peace. This is what God promises to satisfy, the hunger for righteousness. So what does it mean to hunger? Is hunger good? I think often we're struck in this a balance of wanting to be content, but also being hungry. So what is good hunger? Well, first and foremost, let me say, hunger is healthy. Someone say healthy. Healthy. Hunger is healthy. How many of you know, like, if you are not hungry, you're probably not healthy. Meaning this, when I watched the Super Bowl on my bathroom floor, because I had the stomach flu, uh, I was not hungry, right? That was a sign that I was not healthy. Now, it was one of many signs that I was currently experiencing in that moment, but it was a big one, <laughs> right? And then when I didn't want to eat for the next couple days, that was also a sign that I wasn't feeling well. It, it's healthy to be hungry, you were born with it, you were created with it, in a physical and spiritual sense, it's healthy to have a hunger. It's natural to hunger. It's natural to want fulfillment. You are not weird for wanting fulfillment in your life. 
You're not odd for one. You're not selfish for, for having a hunger for more, for longing for God, for having a desire for the eternal. We were created with that. And that's why hunger in our bodies is a really strong visual for hunger in our souls. That's why we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. Amen? We do 21 days of prayer and fasting because it, there's this a mental occurrence that happens where we recognize that what the hunger in our body is highly symbolic of the hunger in our souls. So we submit the uh, hunger in our flesh to feast more on God in His presence. I think all the time of, uh, of fast food versus real food. Now, I said this in the first service, but I like McDonald's. And I know, I know it's in vogue to, to hate on fast food. But just in like a beautiful moment of honesty, people, where are my fast food lovers? Come on. Come on, college kids. I know. Let's be honest. See, the rest of you, you're too good for us. <laughs> you're so beautiful and healthy. The rest of us, we get down with some Crunchwrap Supremes. You know what I'm talking about. Listen, listen. I love good food, but Taco Bell's open at 1 o'clock in the morning. Let's just be honest. It's there. It's there, and it's cheap. There was a part of my life where that's what I could afford. Available and cheap, right? And it's good. You know why it's good? Because science, right? Sci people are like, you, you believe in science? I'm like, yeah, have you ever had a Dr. Pepper? Right? It was created with science to make your brain go, yes! Right? Like, it was made for that purpose. The 23 flavors that it evokes are scientifically designed to make your brain go, I will die without this Dr. Pepper. Like, they don't even need advertising. Once you have that first one, they should just make all Dr. Pepper and Happy Meals free, the first one, right? <laughs> it's like, the first one's free, because your brain is like, I need this. And I love, I love, I like McDonald's, but like, it is made, it is made with like so much salt. Like, a con listen, if you run a McDonald's, I just want to say I love you, thank you, you are the backbone of America. I appreciate you. Don't get any weird ideas here. Uh, but, man, it is made. Like, you taste the salt on that. That is more salt on one French fry than I put, like, an entire meal. And yet just now thinking about it, some of you are like, yeah, <laughs> that's what's up. Like, and you, your mouth is watering because you can sense the salt. Yeah, there we go. Thank you for making it spiritual, Scott. I appreciate that. We are the salt of the earth. We're, if we are, if the church could be as salty as some McDonald's fries, we'd have revival. That's exactly what's up. If we had as much salt as like one Happy Meal, we would just, you know, we just speaking in tongues all the time. Be amazing. It'd be the most Pentecostal thing you ever saw. Uh, Elijah would descend. It would be crazy, right? Just one fry. But I, I love it. I love it. It's good. And I love it because my brain is like, this is what I need. My brain craves it. And it's so convenient, right? Like when I really thought, I, think, I was thinking about this this week. I was like, it's crazy to me when I cook a burger, it takes three to four minutes aside, you know, because I go for like the thick burger. It's good. When I'm in a McDonald's line for more than four minutes, I think the world has ended. I'm like, are they still in there? Right? Are they still, are they cooking food? Like, if you get a Chick-fil-A if you get in a Chick-fil-A line and there's not like 18 GCU students out there taking your order, you're like, is anyone even here? Right? <laughs> like, get some more people here immediately. Because we have this desire in us for more and now. Our brain is like, yes, this, I want this, I want that. And so I noticed during COVID, uh, in, in that season, I'm going to say during because I've just moved on emotionally. I know it's still going on, and I, I still stand by people who are walking through it, but I, I have to like, 
But during that really heavy season, I we had adopted a kid, and so we had now two children, and, uh, you know, we'd go to the grocery store, and there was, like, nothing except, like, ketchup and, like, rocks. And so I was like, all right, we're going to go to, we're going to go to Taco Bell. And I found myself eating a lot of fast food, right? Like, have you ever had that moment where you step back and you're like, I have eaten a ton of fast food this week, right? You start looking longingly at salads, like, oh, that looks so good. Like, praise the Lord for this salad. It's like, I hate salad. <laughs> but like, thank you, Jesus, for this salad. Thank you so much. Or like your face starts to hurt. Some of you, you've not gone down this wormhole, but let me tell you, at the bottom of that wormhole, your face hurts, right? <laughs> and you look, <laughs> you look, you look in the mirror and you don't feel good. You're like, what happened, man? We used to be so great. We used to be somebody, right? <laughs> and then you feel guilty, a little bit of shame, because like people get into your car and you got to scooch aside the Wendy's wrappers. They're like... They're like, how many times have you gone to McDonald's this week? I'm like, yeah, this week, for sure. For sure this week. Yeah, twice this week, for sure. Not today. And so I decided, I decided during COVID, I was going to eat good. I was going to get back to it. I was going to back to being healthy. I was a healthy person. Um, and I was going to get back to it. And I love growing vegetables, so we're growing our own food. And I love gardening. And so then I saved up with some families, and we bought this whole cow um, dead. It was dead when we bought it. We bought this whole cow and got in the freezer, and so we had healthy meats, you know, and, and all this stuff, and I it was just got really deep into sustainability and all these things, and I started eating healthy, and can I tell you, the McDonald's was still very convenient. My brain still wanted it, right? Like, as I'm defrosting this chuck roast, it's going to take, like, two days just to defrost. It's like, I know it's so good and so delicious, but in the back of my brain, I don't know what part of the brain this is, but it's, like, screaming at me, like, Crunch Wrap Supreme, right? It's just yelling at me, like, it's right down the you're going to pass it on the way home, right? It's just yelling in the back of my brain because my body craved it. But what I noticed is as I began to eat better food, I began to feel better. It was not more convenient. It was not easier. But, man, I began to feel good. And then when you, like, lose weight and you're, like, eating healthy and you're working out, you feel good, right? And so I started feeling good. I started feeling good in my body and in myself, right? Even though uh, in my brain it was like, man, it'd be just so easy. It'd be so quick to grab this, to get that, to make that happen. In my brain, I'm like, no, you know what? I'm trying to get the thing that's actually real and nutritious and nourishment that I need. I mean, I'll still go right now and get down on a crunch wrap. But I'm just saying my body recognized and my mind recognized, wow, if I eat something that's actual substance and not a substitute, I feel good, right? Can I tell you, the same thing is true in our life and in our soul. The same thing is true in my heart, in my life. The things of this world are like fast food. This is why a real relationship takes a while to develop, and you could all go look at porn in like two seconds from now. Because it's just a drive through it's just fast food. It's not going to fill you up. It's not going to sustain you. It's going to trick your brain. It's wired to trigger things in your mind, but it's not real. It's not sustaining. It's destructive. It's going to destroy your heart from the inside out, and it will kill you. But the world is wired that way, isn't it? To give us these quick, convenient things to trigger our brain, to release dopamine. They, they say, like, man, if you just had this, if you could just get this, if you could just watch this, you could do it right now. Why wait for that when you could do this right now? Why, why actually, like, stand for this when you could just take the easy thing right now? Why do this? Why be pure in heart? Why give mercy? Well, man, it would feel so good to just, I don't know, verbally destroy them on the Internet, right? Or, or punch them in the face, right? Our body is prone to that, right? That's how we think. That's what we thrive on. But it doesn't satisfy us. It cannot fill the God-shaped hole in our life. 
It cannot fill the longing in our life. Only God can truly satisfy our souls. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Come to me, eat, be filled, be satisfied. But often we just like want to turn to the world because it's easy, right? Because it's quick, because it's there, it feels good. But in our hearts, we know we hunger for something better, something greater, something eternal. Amen? I'm warm. Anybody else warm? Feeling that? Someone crack these doors, get some air going. Anybody that I pay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Gianna. Way to take the initiative. Whoever's in charge of money in this church, give her a raise. Yeah, she, I know, that's what I was saying. She, she is. <laughs> I guess never mind then. <laughs> the reality is that there's something better that we can receive, and that's the kingdom of God, the blessing of God. And what I love about God is that he blesses, amen, he blesses according to his ability. Did you know the blessing of God, they come not, not from human ability. They come from his storehouse. They come from his ability. See, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we look to be filled from the storehouses of heaven, not our own broken cisterns, right? Our own broken wells. Like, hope something's in here. Hope something I can, I can pull out of this. We receive from the Lord. See, when we choose instead of self-seeking, when we seek the benefit of others, instead of pursuing our flesh, when we hunger for purity, instead of taking up our own pride, we lay it down and give mercy. God blesses us and fills us and satisfies our soul. And think of this, right? Just imagine, if you had a choice, maybe you don't know me very well, but you look at me and say, like, okay, I feel like I kind of get maybe your net worth as a person just by, you know, your clothes or something, right? And then, like, Jeff Bezos was here next to me, and I was like, hey, man, both, either Jeff or I are going to give you all that we have right now. What do you want? You would choose Jeff. <laughs> well, I know we don't know each other that well, but you should choose Jeff, right? Listen, Jeff Bezos, I said this first of it's Jeff Bezos. If you're listening, I know you're retired. You've got some great outreaches you can give to right now. It's like literally, I don't know, whatever's not a lot to you, like a million dollars. Um... <laughs> But you would choose, why? Because he has so much money, so many resources. Let me tell you, when we choose God to bless through his storehouses, you're choosing the God that created the universe. Literally, if Jeff Bezos took all his money and said, I'm going to use all this money to try to understand God and to figure God out and figure out his universe, it wouldn't even scratch the surface. That's how great and mighty God is. God created the whole universe. All that you see in the heavens, all that you see on the earth, down to the tiniest, tiniest level, God created that. And that God, great and mighty, great and powerful, great and awesome, he intimately knows you and step down, steps down into your life to bless you with the same power. Did you know that? The same power that spoke the earth the same power that spoke the sun into existence. Y'all seen the sun lately? It's a big deal. The same power that spoke the sun into existence. That's the storehouse that blesses you when you pursue righteousness. Yeah, you could go after the things of the world. But that substitute's never going to satisfy like God can. It's never going to satisfy like eternal power can. I love Matthew 6.31. Jesus, as he's continuing the sermon, he says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, 
What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Can I read that again? It says this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So much of our life, I think, is spent worrying about how to satisfy that hunger. And we keep trying things, and it just, it's not right. So it's like, man, maybe if I tried this, maybe if I tried this, maybe if I did this, then that would, like, satisfy that hunger. So much of our life is spent. And so we live in this sense of anxiety because we're, we're worrying. And God says, no, I will satisfy that hunger. Seek first the kingdom and righteousness. And if you trust me in seeking me first, then my hand will be upon everything else. Regardless if it's a, a lot or a little, whatever it is in your life, God's hand will be upon your life. I got asked a really good question last week. If you ever have good questions about the sermon, please come ask me, because I love that when people are trying to apply what God is speaking. I think that's awesome, amen? When God is like speaking to you and you're like, hey, what do I do this? Bring questions, I love it. Someone asked me last week, really good question. They said, how do I be content but also hunger for more? You ever thought that? Like, okay, Pastor Josh said, I got to be content, but like I want stuff, right? Like I want to be content, but like I also want to like graduate well, right? Like, is the drive to graduate, like, counter to my contentment? Like, it's a good question. Is the drive to, like, get a promotion or do well, is that counter to my contentment? How do those work together? So I felt it was important to say that we need to understand the idea of stewarding what God does and trusting in Him. Meaning this. Our job is to trust God with everything. To put it in His eternal, mighty hands. His gracious and loving heart. It's to trust Him completely. As we trust God completely, He in turn fills and satisfies and blesses. And He provides. And then we take what He has provided, maybe it's opportunity or a job or resources, and we steward that according to the character of Jesus Christ, right? That's why generosity is important. It's part of stewarding. That's why compassion is important. It's part of stewarding. That's why integrity is important. It's part of stewarding, right? We steward what God has given us. And part of how we steward is by giving it back to God, by trusting Him with it again. And so we're in the cycle of trust, 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 faithful, 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 and God's in the cycle of fruitful, fruitful, fruitful. So you can have a lot of drive and still be content because your drive is to glorify God, is to surrender to God, and is to trust God, and His drive is to love you. Are you with me? So you can be content and still really get after it in your world. Be a good businessman. Be a good businesswoman. Be a good mom and a dad. Be a good student. Be financially uh, stewarding. Do all those things in your life. But what takes away the anxiety is not a deeper bank account. It's the Almighty God. And it's trusting in Him. Band, you can come up. Jesus says, listen, fulfill your hunger in me, and I will care for you. You can trust me. Stop trying to fill that spot with the substitutes and fill it with the substance that comes from the bread of life that is Jesus Christ. From the living water that is Jesus Christ. It's interesting. I was in a, a foreign country a little while back and I really craved, because I'm American through and through, I was really craving a cheeseburger. Not a McDonald's cheeseburger. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like a good, like a juicy cheeseburger. Like where someone made the patty by hand. You know what I'm talking about? 
right? Like they probably grew the cows out back, raised them. You don't grow cows, raise them. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. And I was looking for that, and I, I know now that it was my language barrier that was the problem. Um, but I couldn't find a good cheeseburger. All I could find was weird substitutes. My issue was mostly the bread. <laughs> like, mostly the bread was weird. The bread was weird. And so I kept trying to find a really good cheeseburger, and instead I settled on the substitute. But as I'm eating this burger, I'm thinking, well, why did I pay $12 for this burger that, like, I don't even like? But I settled on it because it was available. But it just didn't do it. You know what I'm talking about? When you have the craving and, like, something, it just, it, it won't do it. Like, some of you guys, you have a craving for something back home. It's like a gas station product even. And people are like, why do you want that? And you're like, because it's just nothing's like that. You know what I'm talking about? It's like there's just a certain thing that you crave. And you might love living here or being here, but, like, in your heart, you crave that one thing. It's like ketchup chips, right? It's like you, I don't know why you love those, Gianna. God bless you. May the Holy Spirit move and heal your life. But, like, you love those ketchup chips. And if I made you barbecue chips, it wouldn't count, right? Because barbecue is just better ketchup, but it, it wouldn't count. There's a craving, right? And you got to meet that craving. When my wife was pregnant, she craved orange juice. And guess what would not have done? Apple juice. You need orange juice. There's a craving. There's a hunger because substitutes do not satisfy. Can I tell you, in your heart, in your soul, what you long for, what you crave, no substitute will satisfy long. So let me ask you today, all around this church, those of you who are joining us online, what do you hunger for? Do you hunger for satisfaction or are you going to settle for the substitute? Do you hunger for the righteousness, mercy, peace, purity? Or are you going to take the quick detour into the fast food of life collect what's easy and quick and be headed out and unsatisfied in a moment's notice. What do you hunger for today? What do you hunger for today? If you really evaluated your heart, what do you, what do you really hunger for? Do you hunger for mercy? Do you hunger for purity? Do you hunger for peace? I'm blown away by the end of this Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Let me read that again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They're like, wow, that's kind of scary. Let me, let me unscary it here for you a second and just make it really simple. Jesus is saying, listen, you had religion, but no hunger for righteousness. You went to all the church services and small groups. So your habits or your actions might have looked a certain way, but your heart wasn't hungry for righteousness. It wasn't hungry for me. They did things for God, but they never hungered for God. We get the difference, right, in this moment. Are you with this? is important that we understand. Everything hinges on this moment for you. It's not about attendance. It's not about religion. It's not about all of these structures. It is about your relationship with God. Do you hunger and thirst for His righteousness? And can I just tell you, if you do not, it's never too late to change your diet. There's kind of this principle, I think, in our world that everybody's going to start eating healthy tomorrow, and yet no one will, right? How many of you have started diets tomorrow? <laughs> Very few. 
You know, when you start diets, today. You know, when you start eating healthy, today. You know, when you start hungering for the right things, today, now. Because we have this thing, I guess I'm going to, I am going to do that. I am going to do that. Why? Why not just now? Why not right now say, you know what? I'm tired of trying to satisfy my heart with other things. I'm tired of prioritizing other things before the Jesus who can really satisfy me. And you know what? Right now I'm just going to say, Holy Spirit, would you stir up in my heart a hunger for righteousness? Doesn't that moment, doesn't it? It stirs up within me. It makes somebody just say, Jesus, may I reject everything that is not from you, that is not coming from you, every hunger that is not of you. And Jesus, would you stir up within me a hunger for righteousness? I want a hunger for mercy. I want a hunger for purity. I want a hunger for for the grace and the goodness that comes from you, God. Stir it up within me. I want to encourage you, don't wait to change your diet. Change it today. Do you plan on eating today, tomorrow? plan on hungering for something today. Some of you are hungry right now. But are you hungry for righteousness? If I could just plead with you today, we don't settle for a substitute life. Don't settle for a fast food life. Don't settle for a cardboard life. Don't settle for a plastic life. Don't settle for a fake life. Get a life of substance that comes to the righteousness of God, a life of freedom, a life of peace, a life of joy, a life of hope, a life of mercy, a life of peace with others. How we do that is very simply, we invite the Holy Spirit. We say, Holy Spirit, would you stir up in me? I need you to minister in my heart as you dwell within me and stir a hunger that I might pursue righteousness and in pursuing the righteousness of God, be satisfied with his storehouse, with his blessing. Would you stand with me today? As you stand, would you bow your head and close your eyes in this place? I want to pray two things over you today. If you have never made that decision to follow Jesus Christ, I want you to know here at Banner Church, we stand upon the truth of Scripture, and we believe that all people can experience the freedom and the power of the new life in Jesus Christ. And so today, if you say, I want to choose to follow Jesus with my life, then we believe the old has gone and the new has come. And by the power of the Holy Spirit that he gives to you, there is freedom in the name of Jesus. There is hope for the future. There is healing for the past today. So if you've never made that decision, whether you're here in Scottsdale or you're joining us online, I'm going to give you that moment in just a second to raise your hand. If you're saying, today, I choose to follow you, Jesus with my life. If that's you today and you're willing to make that step, not waiting till tomorrow, but in this moment right now, you're going to make that step. Jesus, I choose to follow you with my life. I want the freedom, the healing that comes through you, Jesus. I choose to follow you. Would you just lift your hand and put it back down today? I want to pray over you, Jesus. I pray for every life today, both here in Scotland and online that has committed their heart. I pray right now 
for freedom in the name of Jesus. We thank you that scripture says in this moment the old has gone, that the new has come, that the life in the flesh is dead and the life in the spirit is alive by Jesus and the blood shed upon the cross and the victory in the resurrection. So Jesus, I pray right now over every life that they would step into the truth of the freedom. We reject the lie of the enemy that says they are still chained to sin and shame and we accept the freedom that comes through you, Jesus. Second thing this morning, eyes closed, head bowed. I'm going to give you just a simple action here before the band leads us in this song. If you're here, you're saying, man, I, want, I need the Holy Spirit to stir up a hunger for righteousness in my life. And you want to pray, God, Holy Spirit, would you stir up in me a hunger uh, inside for purity, peace, mercy. Take away my desire for these earthly substitutes that I might be satisfied by you and you alone. If that's you today, would you just lift your hands with me? I'm going to lift my hands as well. God, would you stir up by the power of the Holy Spirit, stir up a hunger for righteousness in my heart and in my life today. Not by my will, but by your will, by your spirit. Stir up a hunger today in my life. I want to pray for you. Would you just keep your hands raised in this moment? We raise our hands in prayer and in worship as a sign of surrender, but also of receiving. So just lift your hands with me in this moment. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that as you ascended, you sent the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here with us today and that you are ministering in our lives, that you are revealing the truth of God through his word, that you are revealing the love of God in our lives in this moment and in this encounter, in this space, God. I pray for every life. We pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would stir up a hunger inside of us for purity, that you would stir up a hunger inside of us for peace, that you would stir up a hunger inside of us for mercy. God, that you would take away these earthly desires of the flesh for the substitutes that will never satisfy and that we would be satisfied even right now, Holy Spirit, by the goodness of the Lord, that we would be satisfied by God and his provision, that we would build our life upon you, Lord, not the things of this earth, that we would build our hope upon you, Lord, not the things of this earth, that we would put our trust in you, Lord, not the things of this earth, and that we would hunger and thirst for you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together this morning.